I grew up in an evangelical Christian cult, and I grew up in an abusive household. And so there was no healthy people around me for me to model my life after. And so my entire world existed inside of my head. So the church was actively exploiting the poor. You know, had millions of dollars worth of gold in a safe that at some point one of the pastoral staff's son stole. So the FBI became involved. I am not who I am because of the things that happened to me. I am who I am in spite of the things that happened to me. This is, for me, life and our pain is not a comparison contest. Like, my pain is worse than your pain. And because I've been through so much abuse in my own life, I have a better feel of how to navigate those really difficult conversations. From the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. Hey folks, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Superpower School Podcast. I'm your host, Paddy Dander, and today we are going deep. I don't know exactly what on, and we're going to find out in a moment. But my guest today, she is a speaker, a writer, and an entrepreneur. She helps people live more joyful and connected lives through the principles of life design, something that I certainly could do with. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Shana Francesca. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me, Patty. I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. I, I kind of hurt my finger the other day, and I've sliced the top of my finger. And uh, yeah, I've had a big bandage on it all week, trying to get sympathy from people. So I shan't, I shan't get more sympathy, but it's been a tough one because yeah. I doodle a lot. I, I'm mm. a bit of a doodler and uh, can't even hold a pen at the moment. So it's been a bit. Oh yeah, that's tough. It, is it your pointer finger? Yeah, that's tough. I sliced a big chunk of skin off of my middle finger yesterday. And so I sympathize, but I can hold a pen. <laughs> can hold it. Yeah. Got it. Well, hopefully we won't need any pens. For this Hopefully. particular episode. <laughs> so, Shayna, what superpower would you like to bring to this particular episode? Curiosity. So, for me, when I think about curiosity, what's wrapped up inside of it is vulnerability, is a willingness to be prayful, is courage. Because it's this leaning into, I don't know everything, right? And I don't know. So let me discover. And so there's this beautiful space that we create in our lives when we lean into curiosity to be able to connect deeper with ourselves and push the boundaries of what we thought was possible within ourselves and within our creativity and deeper levels of connection with one another, right? Which we could really use a lot more of. Oh, yeah. I was going to say in today's world, if we're not curious, then I think we're at a disadvantage because there's just so much happening yeah. in the world. And unless we're yeah. curious, we're going to miss out on a lot of stuff. Yeah, but I think it's also, I partner that curiosity with intention, right? Because there's so much for us to know that I think it's important that we get intentional about what we do invite in. So we have a kind of general direction that we want to head in our lives and the kind of way that we want to conduct ourselves and the boundaries that helps us to set boundaries, right? So that we're not building walls, we're not building barriers, we're building boundaries, 
right? And those boundaries can move and kind of shape as we move and shape and learn, but we can't know everything, right? And to try to leads to madness. So it's more like, I just heard this phrase today. I was going through LinkedIn. It was like selective ignorance, right? We have to choose what we don't, what's not going to serve us, what's not aligned with who we are, what's not important. Let that go. And then focus on, you know, what is actually aligned with who we are. But we also have to keep in mind, right, and be curious about what affects other people around us. So there's this balance of my life is about me, and yet we are all deeply connected and need one another. So I need to understand the impact my life has on everybody around me, and yet I cannot live my life for other people, right? So there's so much nuance in it, right? And that's the basis of my work. So I'm really curious to know about your background, Shana, because you're a speaker, a writer, entrepreneur, and then the bit that really got my attention was all of the sort of work you do in terms of life design. Yeah. What is that? Tell us more about it. So life design to me is this intersection between, so my background is I have a BS in interior design. And even if we back up even further than that, I grew up in, an, it, this is the very condensed version of my, the like two sentence version. I grew up in an evangelical Christian cult and I grew up in an abusive household. And so there was, there was no healthy people around me for me to model my life after. And so my entire world existed inside of my head. The only place I was seen and heard and understood was inside of my imagination. And as, an, as I grew and got older and came into my teen years, I started to recognize that I really, I saw how powerful our physical environment is in shaping our reality. And in us feeling heard and seen and understood Right? Our home is a direct reflection of our beliefs about ourselves, and it is in many ways a vision board for our life. And with that understanding, I wanted to be the person who helped people, who helped be the mirror to show people who I saw them as and what was impossible for their environment in supporting them and the story they wanted their life to tell, rather than being a function of marketing and a function of whatever you know was popular inside of some marketing trend, some design trend, which has nothing to do with who we are as human beings, right? It's a function of consumption, of capitalism. And so when we can take a step back from that and I can be that mirror and be like, hey, this is how I interpret you. This is how I see you. Does this feel good as a reflection? Does this feel good for me to construct this as the environment which you spend two thirds of your life, right? So I became this you know, I see myself as deeply honored when people choose me to be the person who crafts their physical environment because I know how key it is to our happiness. There was a study that came out in 2019 that said in Europe that says, I'm American, so it came out in Europe, <laughs> that talked about the fact that of our happiness, the three most important elements, number one is our mental health, number two is our home, number three is our physical health. And in my work over 17 years, I've seen the deep connection between our mental health and our home. And so that's that understanding and the way that I conducted myself as an interior designer, it started to make itself really clear that it wasn't just about a physical environment. So I tell people that my work is, it started out as interior design with interior design, right? Like it was always the connection between our physical environment 
as interior design and our interior design as far as ourselves. And now I've encapsulated that and really embraced that those two things are indelibly tied together. And it sits under the umbrella of what I now call life design. Oh, wow. What a fascinating topic. And you must have one hell of a story to tell in terms of your background. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Shana, would you mind sharing some of your early experiences, especially when you talked about the experiences in a religious cult? I mean, I'm really intrigued to just even get a small insight into that life and how did you end up there? So I was born to two very young parents. And I want to be clear that I didn't recognize, I didn't form the language or recognize that it it was a cult that I grew up in until about three or four years ago, until I started doing studying on cults. And all of a sudden, I started seeing the parallels between what I grew up in. And I was like, oh, that was a cult. (laughs) Because when you're in it, you can't see it. Everyone will tell you, right? That's a, that's not, and you're like, what do you, no. No, because you don't want to believe it. You don't want to believe that you have been sucked into this alternate reality. But growing up, both of my parents came from difficult backgrounds, right? Their parents were born during the Great Depression. Their parents had significant amounts of trauma and no way of processing it and perpetuated the same abusive pattern that their parents had perpetuated on them. You know, spare the rod, spoil the child, this kind of very abusive language. Not kind of, it's very abusive language. If you wouldn't hit another grown human being, why would you hit a child? The rationale is just absolutely mind-boggling now. But I grew up in that environment and my parents, when they first met, were not deeply religious. Neither of their parents were. My dad's parents were religious, but not like crazy fanatical. And my mom's parents, her mom never even went to church. Her dad went to church every Sunday, but they didn't grow up religious. But what ended up, but her environment was one where her mom was emotionally and um, verbally abusive and sometimes physically violent, but her dad just kind of turned a blind eye to it all. And so she, she stepped out of an environment where she was being abused by her mother into an environment where she became abused by my father. And I think my dad just turned to religion because it appealed to his need to dominate, his need to feel like he could justify his terrible behavior, like it was approved by God, right? And the fundamental relationship between the Christianity that I grew up with, which was, you are nothing without God. That's abusive language, right? Like, you're nothing without me. You can't exist without me. That's abusive language. If we were to, if a human being was to say that to another human being, we would recognize it as abuse. But the minute that language is assigned to God, suddenly it's okay. And so my parents were sucked further and further into that. I started going to the school at five that is associated with the cult we ended up joining. (laughs) And when I was about nine or 10, and I spent from the time that I was 10 until I was 26. Five twenty-six in that environment. When once my brain fully formed, I was like, "There's something not right here. This doesn't feel right. This isn't okay." I'm seeing abuse everywhere. I'm seeing all kinds of infidelity. Where once the church found out, the wife was removed from serving, but the husband wasn't. He was elevated. Where the church was informed of sexual assault, physical violence, 
and they didn't go to the authorities. There was one man who was actively beating his children, kicking them, punching them. And the wife wanted to go to the police. And the church actively said, if you do, we will kick you out of the church. You will not be welcome here. And so there was, and when I made the church aware of the fact that my father sexually assaulted me, they told my mother that it was because she wasn't having sexual relations with him nearly enough. Uh, So this is why I say it was very actively a cult, right? This is not what happens inside of a healthy environment. And and what sort Um, of numbers of members did they have? Was this 2,500? Wow. The church was also buying up tax liens, which is legal, but they were charging the max amount of interest. So someone was behind on their taxes on their home. They would buy up that tax lien, charge 17% interest. Person would have to pay back that tax, those taxes with that 17% interest before, you know, within a certain period of time or else the church took possession of the home. So the church was actively exploiting the poor you know, had millions of dollars worth of gold in a safe that at some point one of the pastoral staff's son stole and took across state lines. So the FBI became involved. By that time, I had already left. There was just lots of patterns of abuse. You shouldn't have millions of dollars worth of gold when you have people in your congregation who can't afford to put food on the table, Hmm. who are struggling with safe housing. You're at that point, you're just a function of capitalism you are just as like you shouldn't you're not it's a big business it's big business at that point you are exploiting your own congregation for financial wealth (laughs) that's not godly that's Mm. jesus was a socialist so i you know once i recognized that i left and i thought the problem was that specific church what i began to realize was that it was actually evangelical Christianity, period. I've never, I, you know, I went to several other evangelical Christian churches that were non-denominational and thought that would be a better environment, but I kept seeing the same exact patterns. They would go from being a church that served people to wanting to grow. And the minute they wanted to grow and focus specifically on the numbers, they became big business and became exploitative every single time. I watched it happen over years. And so... I just, I left evangelical Christianity entirely, but all amongst all of that, the religious abuse that was happening in my life, the religious trauma, uh, I would go home and I was facing physical violence, emotional violence, verbal abuse, and then eventually sexual abuse. My dad started grooming me from the time I was probably nine, 10 years old. He forced me to take a virginity pledge, a chastity pledge in front of my entire 2,500 person church when I was 12. And then continued grooming me. Of course, I didn't know. I was 12. I didn't know what grooming was. And then sexually assaulted me when I was 15. Uh, And so there was all of this violence happening against my personhood consistently, right? And And I think, A, none of it should have ever happened. I am not who I am because of the things that happened to me. I am who I am in spite of the things that happened to me. I think we all need challenges in our life to stretch us and help us to recognize where there's possibility for us to grow, where there's, you know, where there's more to us than we possible, right? But that's a challenge. We don't need trauma. We don't need trauma to discover who we are. And so my work centers around empowering us to get more curious, 
to learn from each other, to understand our impact, uh, to recognize where in any given moment we are the villain and the hero, right? We are not one thing or the other. We are the villain in one person's story and the hero in another at any given moment in time. And recognizing that helps us to deeper into the nuance of who we are and our existence and to take ownership of our impact, of the consequences of our actions, and to build healthy community, right? Where we are, we take radical accountability for who we are and for our impact. Before we continue, here's a quick word about the sponsors of this show. So your execs have decided to go through a big transformation to change your ways of working. They've restructured the teams, invested in new tools and techniques, but there's one small problem. How do we measure our improvement consistently across the organization without falling into the trap of relying on what we call vanity metrics? Yup, those KPIs that look great on paper, but just aren't very useful. I want to introduce you to Comparative Agility. It's the world's largest continuous improvement platform. They've gathered over 4 million data points from thousands of organizations so that you can benchmark your maturity against the world index or compare yourself to your industry. They have a wide range of different surveys covering topics such as business agility, psychological safety, DevOps, employee engagement, and many more. What makes these surveys so valuable is that they've been written by respected thought leaders who are experts in their field, such as Mike Cohen from the world of Agile, all the way through to Dr. Amy Edmondson. So whether you're a coach, team manager, or a transformational leader, be sure to check out Comparative Agility to help implement a culture of continuous improvement. Best of all, you can test drive the platform completely free. To find out more, check out the link in the show notes. Now, let's get back to the episode. Everything you just talked about there, I couldn't even imagine someone having to go through that. And I'm sure people listening out there, there are probably so many questions and so much anger within people just hearing your story. And all I can say is, you know what, hearing you now, before we talked about that, I had no idea. And you just came across as such a positive person and yeah. no one would ever know that's the background you've had to go come through. So uh, well done on where you are today and the sort of work that you're doing, which brings me on to what sort of people would come to you for support. So when they realize that, hey, you do this work, what kind of people would come to you and what sort of issues would they be facing, I guess, would be my question. Yeah, that's a great question. I have not met a single human being ever that hasn't been through something extremely painful in their life. This is, for me, life and our pain is not a comparison contest. Like my pain is worse than your pain. The reality is for me, I chose the path of healing and for my pain to help me to lean further into empathy so that I can be the keeper of people's stories so that they can share their story with me, whatever it is, and know that I'm not judging them. There's no judgment, right? I've been through a lot of things that have caused a lot of interesting consequences in my life and caused me to question fundamentally who I am so many times. I know that to be a basic human 
that's just part of our basic human existence is that we run across things that cause us to question who we are and what's possible on the other side of it. Because pain is so encompassing, right? No matter what it's from. I've lost people in my life. I've, you know, I've been through and what I shared with you is just such a small fraction of my story. Someday I'm going to tell it in its entirety and write a book. But because I've been through so many things, I, my clients come to me and they're just human beings, right? They've been through whatever they've been through and they know that they can share who they are and they can trust me, right? Because I'm not judging them. And I think that's the thing that who I am and what I've been through empowers is that I can deeply connect to other human beings and they can share their stories with me, whatever that story may be. You know, I have one client who my work centers mostly around interior design work for them, but she couldn't get pregnant. She adopted her daughter and she has, through the work that we've done together, shared what it was like to not be able to get pregnant, not to be able to have a child and then adopting a child and what that was like and for her daughter. And I have uh, other clients who, you know, this is a very extreme version on the other end of the spectrum. His husband was deeply violent and was a trained medical professional and would slip date rape drugs into his food and then pump him full of drugs and bring him to the brink of death and then revive him. And ended up overdosing and then hitting a tree and no longer is on this planet. But so much abuse and violence happened in the span of 15 years of them being together that when his husband passed, I had a tremendous amount of work to clean up his house and make sure, you know, he was going to therapy and connect him with uh, people who could help take care of his dogs and help him maintain the house, get him to a place of being full and knowing that he had a support system in getting through what he needed to get through both mentally and emotionally and physically and to be able to like take ownership of his life again and feel like it was his life again rather than he was in constant defense mode. I mean, he had padlocks on, on closets in nearly every room of the house because he would need on every floor of the house a place where he could quickly run and lock himself into to protect himself from his husband. Like, so I'm the keeper of some of the most grotesque stories that you can hear. And I just am like, okay, so let's go through this together, right? Let's walk through this moment together. Let me get you connected to resources. Let's have conversations and let's lean into it. What support do you need? You know, and because I've been through so much abuse in my own life, I have a better feel of how to navigate those really difficult conversations. But it doesn't mean that all of my clients have very extreme situations. All of my clients are just human beings and they have whatever story they have and their story matters to them and their pain is important. No comparison at all, ever. So would someone who's typically going through some reflection time about their life, yeah. thinking about maybe some changes they want to make. Are those the sort of people that would come to you for help? So people come to me for primarily two reasons and they end up intersecting, right? So people will come to me for interior design work and we'll still talk about, because in my interior design work still falls under life design, right? When we're crafting interior space, we're still recognizing that human beings are inside of it. 
right. and it has an effect on our mental health. And so we're diving into how do we want to feel in that space? What do we want to accomplish? How does that space, how does that space support us rather than us supporting it? What rules do we need to let go of so that we can have this space truly function for us? So we're still having this larger life design conversation. Or they come to me for one-on-one coaching or group coaching or a keynote talk or, you know, workshop facilitation. And we're having a conversation more from how do we get intentional about our lives and start creating alignment with that intention and releasing what no longer serves us, you know, and creating our life as a beautiful work of art. Pablo Picasso said that art is the elimination of the unnecessary. And so when we get intentional about how we want our life to feel and how we want to exist inside of it and what we want from it, right? Like setting direction on a compass. We're not like Google Mapsing our life. We're not like, okay, we're going to turn left here and now right here and we're going to go straight for We're not doing that because like we have no control over that. It's life. The minute we think we're going to turn left in 500 feet, it's like road closed detour. Do you know what I mean? Like that's just how life works. So like life design is and setting an intention is more like setting direction on a compass, right? And then we get to carve away what is unnecessary and make more space for what is in alignment with that intention. And so that becomes that focus. And ultimately that work spills into their physical environment. Got it. Yeah. So both, they're both functioning absolutely hand in hand. Got it. So imagine I'm one of those people and I say, mm-hmm. hey, Shana, you know what? Like my house needs some attention i could really do with a hand like where would we go from there like how would you work with me is it a case of us having some form of conversation and you finding out Mm -hmm. a bit more about me about my tastes yeah how does that work do you have a a, an approach so we have usually at least an hour worth of conversation if not several (laughs) like usually it's one to two hours of conversation where i kind of get a feel for who you are you know what you what is it that you do? Where is it? Do you go? What inspires you? Have you been places in the world that you love? Do you have pieces of art that inspire you that, you know, I don't care what they are. It could be a poster from your favorite concert. It could be, you know, a tchotchke that a knickknack that you're, you have from, you know, a travel or from a grandparent or from a friend, or it could be whatever it is. We don't stack rank things. There's no hierarchy to it. If it's important to you, let's have a conversation about it. And then to dive further into that, right, I will walk through either physically or virtually, right, depending on where someone is in the world and if they want me to fly out there or they would rather conduct it virtually. And what I have someone do is walk me through their home because I want to, and I need to see your body language. So I'll have asked that someone else hold the camera if we're doing it virtually because I want to watch your body language as you walk through your home. I want to see where you stop. I want to see the places you avoid. I want to see what you focus on telling me about, what you don't. I want to see where the dust bunnies are, where the stacks of things are. People are not allowed to clean their house before we have a walkthrough at all. Don't clean it. I know I'm not all. <laughs> I need to see where the piles of things are because I need to see what's working for you, what's not. What are you touching all the time and what are you not? That's why the dust is important. <laughs> I need to see all of those things. And then we're just going to create a plan of like, what do you wish took up more space in your house? What, you know, what really excites you? And I'm going to see that by how you talk about things in your house, right? I'm going to be able to watch your body language and when does your speech speed up? And when do you get more excited and passionate about what you're talking about? I'm going to take note of those things. 
And then when you kind of are brushing past something, I'm going to take note of those things too. Is it something that you don't, you feel like might be embarrassing, but you still love? Or is it something that maybe doesn't belong in your life and we need to let go of? Is it something you're holding on to because it's a family heirloom, but you feel no connection to it, right? Or something you feel like you have to have there, like a dining room that you never use. You know, we're going to talk through all of those things. I'm going to take note of those things. And then I'm going to come back and say, here's how I see you. Here's how I see what your home could be doing for you. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about this interpretation, right? Because I'll come back with a collage of imagery that that feels like how I'm interpreting you. And then we make adjustments where necessary. And then we go from there, right? So it's a matter of most of the process is me making sure that the mirror I'm holding up feels good for you, right? Yeah, got it. I'm just thinking that through, actually. My wife and I were quite different when it comes to... That happens all the time. Preferences, yeah, especially uh-huh. with the home. Yeah, I would say I, I'm an only child, so I grew up with a fairly empty house. It was me and my parents. So I could leave things the way I wanted and you know, nobody else would have conflict with me on that because yeah. there's no one else there. Yeah. Whereas my wife, she's one of five siblings. And so yeah, you can't leave anything around <laughs> if you're one of five siblings. I'm one of four. You can't right. leave anything around because someone will touch it, move it. You got to keep it in your own space. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing belongs in the common space. <laughs> Absolutely. And we're very different in that. Yeah. I like everything to be neat and tidy. Yeah. Usually. I'm all about kind of minimalist sort of approaches. And I like everything to be tidy. Well, my wife's complete opposite. She's a tidy person, but she'll kill me because she overhears me. But okay, I won't tell her. <laughs> she'll literally hang stuff everywhere. Like in our room, we've got hooks to hang stuff on. Understand. You'll be like hanging clothes on the door handles. And half the time I can't open the wardrobe because there's That's stuff, no stuff hanging. hanging. Yeah, so I understand. I'm, yeah. I'm scared to even touch them because the clothes are going to fall off the hook. And so, <laughs> it's like, funny. I'm laughing, but it's, I'm laughing because it's such an interesting thing, but it is, it does affect us. So yeah. like, like dealing with interpersonal interaction when it comes into a home, like that's my favorite thing is being able to reflect everybody who lives inside of that home in that space and creating a solution that everybody that works with what everybody needs, right? We find that common ground. And usually it's harder when it's your home, right? As a married couple, it's harder when it's your home to see a common ground solution because you're so both so deeply and emotionally invested in the way that you do things, that it's hard to remove yourself from that dynamic and see what's possible that would serve both people's needs. And that's my favorite thing is to hear out both people. Like when people are married, oftentimes they'll like interject and interrupt each other. And I'm like, it's okay. There's no hierarchy here. I respect no hierarchy in a home because every single person belongs reflected in that and it needs to function for all of you together or it's not functioning at all. So it's not about just how beautiful it's about how functional it is form should follow function and the beauty should be a part of that beauty should be wrapped into all of that right and so to be able to bring the to intersect all of that because that's what human human life is about it's about how we work together in community with one another creating that in people's homes when i watch what it does 
for conflict resolution inside of marriages, which is why I'm like 50% therapist, <laughs> if not more, <laughs> not way more, <laughs> maybe like 70% of my job is like therapist, you know, because I really am. I listen to everybody and I'm like, let me hear each one of you. And then let me come up with a solution that serves both of you. And then it shows you what's possible when we can step back and see how there's not two answers. There's, that's a false dichotomy. There's never two answers. It's never this or that. There's way more nuance in life. And once we start getting curious about what exists in that nuance, we can create solutions, infinite numbers of solutions that serve every person within a community. We just have to get curious. We can't sit in our knowing. We can't be like, but this is my way. Okay, but you don't live with just by yourself anymore. So it can't be my way, right? We have to figure out what is our way, right? And that's a huge part of my work is what's our way? What does that mean? How do I interpret that? How do I make it work for every single person? I'm just laughing because there's an example that came to mind that I'm thinking about where we have a chest of drawers and we've assigned those drawers individually. That, your drawer, that's my drawer, that's your drawer, that's my drawer. But there's one drawer, which is a shared drawer. Oh boy. that's a, And that's the problematic one because that's the drawer I use most often because I have like my scent and my, I have a hairbrush in there. And so I have this routine every morning. I'll go for that drawer. I don't even need to look at it. I just need to rummage around and I know exactly where everything is. Oh, and like now there's other random stuff on my stuff. Uh, and oh. that then causes problems because I'm like, what is this doing here? And then it's like, well, it's my draw too. And then we have those little bickering moments, which is hilarious because yeah. I actually yeah. laugh about it myself. Even when I'm doing it, I laugh <laughs> about it because it's just so funny. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, maybe get yourself some little small chest that you can put on top of this dresser or a, something to function as an aesthetically pleasing additional drawer that that just gives one of you the drawer and one of you the thing and no shared drawer. The yeah. shared drawers feel like landmine. That feels so. like a the or like yeah, no, just no shared drawer. <laughs> That's the one drawer that causes us the most grief. Yeah. Everything yeah, else. Don't do it. Don't yeah, do it. Just get rid of it. Yep. No, no shared drawer. Because walking into every time you open that drawer, you're not sure what's going to happen. And that's a point of contention and frustration yeah. and animosity. So why have it? Why not eliminate that? That's true. You know? And it and this is why I say my work hap such profound changes in relationship happen in the smallest things. So my work focuses on that, on these points of contention. And we build some, we build beautiful solutions from points of contention, right? So that's why I say, I don't want you to clean your house. I need to open the drawers. I need to see where the points of contention are. I need you to tell me those moments. So we can just come up with a solution because why live the rest of your life fighting over a drawer when you could just figure out one, one additional storage solution, no longer share the drawer. If it's a shelf, maybe mounted on the wall above the dresser, right? And just, just eliminate the shared drawer. Done, right? And then this point of continuous contention in a relationship is completely removed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd be really interested to know if any listeners out there have 
the problem I have. And if you do have a shared draw, how do you get over that? And please let me know. I'd love for people to write to me. They've got yeah. my email address. Please do write in. I would love mm. to know. But that, that's a really fascinating approach, though. I, I think about a lot of people in terms of the space that we live in. That's where we are most of the time. They spend most of our of lives, lives. Yes. Two thirds of our life. Yeah. That's why I say it's value. It's so important because if yeah. your day starts with this point of contention between yeah. you and your significant other over this drawer, now what does it do domino effect energy wise to the rest of your day? So it has a profound impact on our entire lives. These small moments impact energetically our entire lives. So it's not just a drawer. It's our life and a drawer. So like it's deeply important to resolve that conflict, yeah. just make it so it's not a conflict. Anymore. And at the start of the episode, we talked about curiosity. So yeah. how can we link the curiosity into a scenario like that? It starts with just asking what's possible, right? When we say it's not possible, it must be one or the other. There's no curiosity in that. You're mm. sure you know. But when we take out sure, I'm not sure of anything. What I do know is that everything is possible. And I'm just going to get curious about what's possible, right? Like what's possible? What's possible if these two things were to be in the same room together? How can they be in the same room together? In what way do they have intersection where I could take a warm, more warm colored, cool tone, right? Like a, a more like a warmer or a cooler gray, right? Or a warmer or a cooler blue. And where can I intersect that with, you know, other earth tones, so on and so forth. Just finding these undertones in color that bring them together or, or overtones in styles or intersections of styles. It's just getting curious about in wh where, how. Because most things are a spectrum, right? It Very rarely have I ever really seen anything as black or white. Most of the world, most of our experience, and most of everything lives within the gray. So when we recognize that, we can get curious about how these things play together, and where, in what world, and what world can I construct that all these things play together well. They don't just play together, they play together well. Right? And when we think about our life that way, when we think about relationship that way, when we think about laws and societal constructs and social systems, when we start to really examine, it affects every curiosity will change the world. We just have to stop pretending that our way is the right way and start to understand that we are not an island, that we are on this big, beautiful earth together and we're meant to do it together and we've got to find the intersection of all the things. Oh, I love that. What a lovely way to summarize that. Thank you so much, Shaina. And before we wrap up, how can people get in touch with you and if people want to get hold of more resources, yeah, both your great stuff that you've got, as well as any other books that you would recommend. Yeah. Okay. So first, the place to get connected with me is my website. It's kind of the hub of everything. So it's www.consonate.world. I'm sure it'll be tagged in the show notes. You'll find my contact information there. You could subscribe to our email list. That goes out a couple times a month when I have something really interesting that I want to share or something might be kicking off, or a speaking engagement people can engage with. Um, lots of free resources and information there. So definitely head to the website. You can connect with me from there. All our social media is tied there as well. 
And then as far as books, recently, I'll just talk about books that I've recently completed that I'm completely obsessed with. Mia Birdsong's How We Show Up. It talks about building community, building relationship, and doing so from a place of curiosity. I just, last year, I finished reading Bell Hook's The Will to Change, which talks about patriarchy and and how it affects every single aspect of our lives and our relationships and learning to to grow and to question all of our assumptions. I'm currently reading the book Come As You Are by Dr. Emily Nagoski, which is about pleasure, exploring pleasure in our lives, specifically female pleasure, which has been entirely ignored mostly by society, but I think is a great read for anyone. Anyone, because we all came out of a person with a uterus's body. So, you know, for me, my I'm constantly learning and trying to connect with the world in new ways and challenge my perception of reality. Uh, and so, yeah, there's constantly, that's another thing I bring up in my email newsletter if people subscribe is I'm sharing resources, podcasts, you know, books, articles, things that I come across that I think would be great to help people to lean into their own curiosity. Oh, thank you so much for those recommendations. The first one you mentioned, can you repeat the title of that book? Because I'm really uh, interested in that. Yeah, Mia Birdsong's How We Show Up. Got it. How We Show Up. It's a really beautiful, incredible book. Absolutely. It, it challenges every aspect of our society, every aspect of the way we connect with one another, which I think is really beautiful. Oh, perfect. And folks, yes, please do check out Shana's website. I will include the details in the show notes for sure. Shana, thank you so much. We yeah. are out of time. And yeah. I feel this episode has been a roller coaster for me. I mean, we explored some of the darker side of humanity, but then explored some of the magical work that you're doing as well to help others. So, oh, and we explored my draw as well, which was really good and useful. <laughs> So thank you for that. I got some free consultancy there on, yeah. on my draw situation. So yeah, thank you once again. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.